Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We have the esteemed privilege this week of welcoming to the show none other than Araceli Villanueva, a name that many, many people throughout the LAFC and of course the MLS and greater soccer community here in America have heard before. She is currently the social media coordinator and content creator at Challenger Pitch, which is a subdivision of Challenger Sports. You may recognize her name as she is formerly of MLS Female, aka Switch the Pitch. She was a reporter and social media manager at MLSsoccer.com, SB Nation, and she's worked for many teams here in the United States, including the Swope Park Rangers, aka Sporting Kansas City 2, the Kansas City Comets, which I would love to dive into the world of MASL with you in a minute, and of course, the Kansas City Chiefs as well, too, as we go further and further down the rabbit hole. But first and foremost, Araceli, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me on. I, I'm excited to definitely speak about the comments with you later <laughs> and everything else at LAFC, of course. And of course, joining me as always, my wonderful co-host, Mr. Christian Aparicio and Chris Sines. Gentlemen, good to see you. Good to be back. How are we doing tonight? Doing well. Happy to get together again, talk to Araceli, and then commiserate on the streak we're on. It's been pretty discouraging as of late. I think that trend is just continuing the people's opinions of the club. I'm hoping that we're going to right the ship. It is the All-Star game coming up in um, less than a week. And hopefully that's uh, a turning point for us just in time for the Derby. Well, you mentioned it has been bleak within the LAFC community on the pitch. And we would be remiss at the onset of the show to not mention a couple things that have happened off the pitch that are even bleaker still. Rest in peace, Julio Soriano, member of the 3252, just an OG within the LAFC community, a member of the Tiger supporters groups, and our hearts certainly go out to him and his family after this tragic loss, and of course over to Tiger supporter group as well too. There have been a lot of memorial fund GoFundMes floating around. We encourage you to head over to Tiger Supporters Group and give in if you can. Of course, there is going to be a memorial service as well, too, prior to the Tigers Watch Party coming up this weekend. All of that can be found on TSG's social media. So we highly encourage you to support the family if possible. And if you were close to show up to the Remembrance of Life, Celebration of Life, as that will be an important event for those Tigers as they are healing at this difficult time. As we have often promoted on this show, the folks at Global Diplomatic do a ton of work through LAFC and through the greater soccer community in order to put together a number of charitable efforts across the United States and any country in which LAFC tends to visit. They were the ones behind the charitable efforts in Leon. They have done away day charity events in Utah, in San Jose. They are the ones currently behind the Tijuana Orphanage campaign that we are still collecting donations at a number of watch parties this weekend. And of course, at the All-Star Game coming up next week. However, the good folks at Global Diplomatic have also had a loss in their family as well, too. And so our hearts go out to Carlos and Roxana. Carlos, the passing of your grandfather. We know that there is a GoFundMe out there as well, too, for Papa Louise. You can find information related to that at District 9 Ultra's social media platform. We would encourage you to go check that out. The Aguirre family is a family that has tirelessly and endlessly supported charity efforts through the Black and Gold community. And for a family that has given so much to the community that is in need in this time, we would certainly appreciate any support those out there could lend to the two of them. So some unfortunate news to begin the show with, but we certainly want to make mention of the loss of one of our 3252 brethren. And of course, a family essential to the charitable efforts, essential to being a force for good within the LAFC community and their loss as well too. So anything you can do to support either of those families would be greatly appreciated. Again, for the Julio Soriano, you can reach out to TSG through any of their social media platforms and to help out the folks at Global Diplomatic, Roxana and Carlos from D9 and the passing of Carlos, his grandfather. You can find the information for that GoFundMe on the District 9 Ultras social media. So some unfortunate news to begin the show with. We shift gears to some news that is also not quite so fortunate, but in a completely different realm. 
not one of personal loss, although many of us feel it that way, pales in comparison. However, LAFC have taken yet another L on the pitch, this time at the hands of Atlanta. So before we dive into some of the particulars about this, I just kind of want to kick it around the room here. Chris, Christian, Araceli, I just kind of want to go ahead and take your initial thoughts on the loss and, and your takeaways from the game before I dive into my own frustrations on it here. So Araceli, as you are kind enough to join us this evening, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Uh, did you get a chance to watch the LAFC Atlanta game? And what were your thoughts about that particular run of form and, and the greater play LAFC have seen in this disappointing stretch? I did have a chance to watch that game. And unfortunately, you know, a very disappointing result. And I think I was a little more disappointed and a false goal being disallowed, uh, given the angle of the goal, it looked like it was onside to me. And that is my own personal opinion on it. But given that it was his MLS debut, that would have been a perfect storyline for him in that night. But other than that, my only real criticisms of that match is I feel like we were a little bit slow in pace. And with being without Segura and Moon, it definitely showed on the field. Carlos. Rossi, Brian, I mean, we have seen them play together time and time again, but for that match, for me, it felt like it was disjointed. Like there was real no communication with the front three. So it, it was just a hard match to watch. Yeah, I think VAR is clearly and obviously against us at this point, uh, safe to say. Uh, Christian, our resident tactics man, why don't we kick it over to you? What did you see in this game? Is there any hope going forward or is it all doom and gloom, my friend? No, there, there's hope. I mean, I agree with the VAR decision. I just think that hasn't been consistent, right? So there's been other close calls like that where the angle is unclear and there was no on-the-field call and the goal stood. In fact, it's happened to LAFC where there's a questionable call and there's just no evidence to overturn it. So I think that's what the instance was. In my gut, do I feel like he may have been a little bit ahead? Probably but that's not the way the rules work. In terms of the game, I just think the team's confidence is low and you can tell. And because things are bouncing their way, I feel like their confidence continues to go low. I think it was the ESPN announcer saying that if you, know, if you just do the eye test, if you see the way the LAFC by and large played better than Atlanta and created more chances, they should have won. And that's been the case in a lot of the games. And I know that Bob says that, but that's not how games are judged, right? It's wins, losses, and ties. And there's just been a lot of ties and a lot of losses, more losses recently than we all are used to. So what I am proud of is that the support online and even at the stadiums and at our stadium has been consistent. It's just the team has been cutting us short at this point. And I don't know what it is because I don't think the main players have changed that much, but I just don't feel the passion or the confidence when, when they're on the field. In comparison to even last year, the year before, if they would get scored on, I just think it lit a fire. Right now, it just lights a doubt in the people's, like in the players' eyes. And that's what I feel is a little discouraging as, a, as an observer and as a supporter of the team. Yeah, I think the body language and the mentality of the team have been a frustrating thing to see especially when we have over 300 of the 3252 that made the trip all the way out there. And when we continue to see that kind of support to not, and I know, look, everybody hates it when you judge a player based on effort and they're playing on turf, which we hate, but it's hard to not see a noticeable difference in the body language of the players this season versus other seasons. So Chris, why don't we pass it to you and see if you echo the same sentiment, sir? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that we all see it, that there is a defeated attitude at times during these matches. And I think you hear the frustration in the players, the ones that had gotten interviewed. And uh, when Carlos had gotten interviewed after that game, you know, he kind of low key, you know, was talking about some of his peers on the team and saying that he wanted them to, you know, to see more from them. And then you end up seeing posts on social media from Diego and Brian Rodriguez pretty much talking about their commitment to the team and how they are looking to turn the situation around. And it's very important. And thank you for your support and things like that. And it's getting to where fingers are now getting pointed, right? And it's almost like people are now saying, hey, look, people need to be accountable and you're not doing your job or what have you. But it, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's a very house of harmony locker room right now. And it's very tense and uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, we know that 
Carlos Vela had a meeting with Rossi and Raito after the game where he allegedly called them out. He mentioned that in his post-game presser. We do know in hearing from some people inside the locker room that there was a much more spirited conversation between Vela and the other DPs, Rossi Raito, in which it was clearly stated that the three of them collectively are not pulling it this year and they need to get it together. So hopefully we see some results from that with this upcoming game. Back to this game versus Atlanta, however, I think it's hard to say that this game was as bad as some of the other games that we've seen. LAFC, from the eye test, as we've mentioned before, seemed to have the more dominant performance in the game to Atlanta. But once again, it's one little mistake from Murillo, and LAFC seemed to always have that one mistake that leads to a goal. Now, in this game, I would say we actually had quite a few mistakes. There were quite a few times in which the defense attempted to bring the ball forward and had turnovers in our own box. And it wasn't just one person. Virtually everyone on our defense had a really bad turnover. And normally those cost us. And in this game, we were able to mitigate all of those chances Atlanta had after those turnovers. But unfortunately, one long ball right after we had switched to a two center back formation. So once again, Bob starts with the 5-2-3 for the first half and switches to a 4-3-3 at second half. So we have center backs that were playing three back and are now playing two back. And I get it. These are professionals. But just a minute or two into that defensive change, we see someone attempt to go root one ball. Mario misplays it. It happens to fall right in the wrong hands. And one pass later, there was nothing we could do about it. They're up one nothing. And despite once again creating a number of chances, LAFC failed to get the ball on net and the shots that were on net were not really ones that tested the keeper. I think we had about 18% of our shots in this particular game on goal, which is a number that is unacceptable. I know statistics don't mean a whole lot to a lot of people in this community, but if only 18% of your shots are on goal, that's vastly below this club's 33% average on the season and vastly below what players like Vela, Rossi, Raito have averaged throughout their careers, which are north of 40%. So we saw a team that was getting opportunities, was getting windows, but unlike the Seattles of the world, those windows were not wide enough for us to get the ball through, depressingly, unfortunately. And it just seems like guys are pressing, like they're trying to do too much right now. And you can call it unlucky, but at some point in time after this many games, it has to be a mentality issue that these guys are just trying for the perfect shot and have kind of lost themselves and what they do best. To someone who certainly watches a lot of MLS, Araceli, I'm curious if you have any similar sentiments when you're watching this team. I think I even tweeted this out before during the match is that, you know, kind of to reflect of what you guys were saying about how it's been tense in the locker room. And I am curious if that tense of that um, low confidence is coming from poor results or is it a mixture with the recent roster changes we had. We've had, you know, the departures of Mark Anthony Kay uh, and Corey Bard, which seem to have happened overnight almost. And now we have the new additions with Christian Arango and Raido rejoining the team. So I'm wondering if it's also a, a combination, as I mentioned, you know, of poor results and just drastic, well, not so much drastic, but roster changes as well. But looking at it from, you know, the outside looking in, I don't know if most people are aware of my background, but I am born and raised in Kansas City. So I grew up watching Sporting Kansas City and, you know, kind of watching the trials and tribulations that my hometown club has gone through. And much of what I've seen this season reminds me of the 2019 season that sporting had which was just absolutely devastating it was poor results the roster was littered with injuries which I'm starting to see with LAFC and I'm not trying to say we're going down that route because we're at the midpoint right now so I want to stay optimistic that there is hope that we can still turn it around and start getting those much needed results now now that the team is kind of starting to gel with each other Moon is going to be available for Saturday. Fortunately, Palacios' injury was not as serious as it seemed at the match. He is listed as questionable. And Bob Bradley did mention this morning that he was running around again. So we're getting our players back slowly with 
the exception of Seguro, who will be missing the remainder of the season. I am optimistic to see how this team can turn things around if so. Another thing that I have noticed, and this may be my personal opinion, but ever since the induction of this team, they have continued to raise the level season after season. Now we're like five seasons in. Everyone's used to this type of system that LEFC consistently put out on the field. Even if we have those that one mistake every now and then, I wonder if those pressure is starting to finally affect the team. Well, you make an interesting point with departures. Obviously, Corey Baird was someone we did not expect to be flipped that soon. I think that was simply we received an offer that was significantly higher than what we spent for him. And that might have been a la Walker Zimmerman. Someone just, you know, made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Kay, you know, look, he wanted starter money and had been relegated to a non-starter position with us. And we certainly wish him all the best. He was a great member of the black and gold community, but one that was definitely not a fan favorite on the pitch as much as he was a fan favorite off the pitch. But with departures that have already happened, we certainly have departures that are looming over the club as well, too. All of our DPs, with the exception of Vela, are looking to move on to a bigger club, a bigger league, even some of those high profile players that are not in DP slots. Vela's contract is up at the end of the season. Bob's contract's up at the end of the season. So be it one foot in Europe or one foot potentially out of the club, you have to wonder if that might be affecting the player's mentality at this point as well too. Christian, Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think without results, that does start to weigh. Players start downing each other's commitment, even if they're saying the right things. Right? I think without results, people don't feel good, right? Going back briefly on the match, I think there was a couple of bright spots. Fall, fall is pretty good, man. For an 18-year-old, only having a few games under his belt and playing in a three-back or two-back system, um, I'd say he's punching above his weight for his age. So if you know he stays with the club, I'm optimistic about that. Another player that didn't play but I'm a little bit disappointed in is uh, Janela. Like, he's getting pretty decent money, and I just – feel like he is not showing what the team wants in practice and not getting playing time. In fact, who's it, Daniel Crisostomo? Uh, Janela's hurt. I think he's uh, – oh. uh, so I don't know if it was very public that he got hurt, but he, uh, I believe, has been ruled out for this next match as well too with injury. Okay, good to know. Well, let me go back. I'm impressed with Fall, and I was also impressed with Daniel Crisostomo. He was pretty good. He came in, he, he, I think, was really good at breaking the lines with his passes and getting into the final third. I think the team seemed a little more fluid. I think Atuesta also had a, a second player beyond Latif that he could pass to and feel confident that the ball would be retained or moved on to the next, which allowed Vela to get up further because he was coming in deep and almost playing like a number 10. And while it was helpful, I think it wasn't putting him in a dangerous position where we need him to, to be to able, be able to score. The last thing I would say, the one that's been consistently positive is Cifuentes. Cifuentes, he doesn't care where he's at. He shoots. That's what we need. I want Arango to do that as well. I think he's still trying to shake off the cobwebs, but I see that kind of aggressiveness in the coming games where he's going to just feel like, hey, I need to get the ball in the dangerous area. Let me just shoot from here. Let me let me do this or that. I think he is a true striker, and he's probably having a learning curve with playing this kind of 4-3-3, but I think he needs to go back to his instincts, and we just need to get results. He needs to get the ball. He needs to take someone on and just go, go get a goal like Dio used to. Yeah, I think those are all some good points there, and I definitely think Fall has been a real bright side. And Cristal Samoa as well, too. Both of those guys look great. You know, the young players for LAFC, we know they're a few years away from all-star potential, but those guys definitely are looking good. I'm optimistic about that. Uh, speaking of signings coming in and going out, Chris, we got some big news that dropped today. Hat box alert. LAFC has a new player-ish. You want to go ahead and take us through our new signing today, Amigo? Yeah, you know, we, we saw the domestic signing dropped from LAFC, uh, the box, and that I believe was around midday, like 10 o'clock. And it was interesting, too, to see who some of the people on social media were talking about. Clement Diop. The uh, goalie who most recently played for Montreal, he also was a former LA Galaxy goalkeeper. He had posted on his social media, on his Instagram, that he was on a plane coming back to California and to Los Angeles. And so there was people speculating that it was him, but turned out not to be him. LAFC officially announced today that they have signed 18-year-old defender or striker 
Julian Gaines. He most recently has been with the Las Vegas Lights. He's played as a right back defender for the Las Vegas Lights, but previous to his time with Las Vegas, he was actually a striker. So he is, you know, a somewhat of a versatile player. LAFC Vince, our friend Vince, did talk about this acquisition, and he speculates that he would primarily expect to see Julian Gaines remain at that defender right back position. But again, you know, a player that has the ability to play on the wing or as a defender, it's, it's maybe like a lighter version of a Latif in that regard, where it's just the versatility. LAFC acquired the number one spot from the MLS waiver order from Toronto FC in exchange for $50,000 in general allocation money in 2022. And they traded for LAFC's original to number 21 spot, and that's how they were able to get the rights to this player. Gaines played 12 matches for Las Vegas. His contract with the Lights was terminated prior to signing with LAFC. Uh, John Thorrington had this to say about him. Julian is a talented and exciting young player who has played well for Las Vegas. We are looking forward to continuing to work with him at LAFC as he continues to develop as a person and a player. It's an interesting signing. You know, we do have the Palacios knock and he was in training today and he was running around. So the injury was not as serious, you know, so of course there is the need for players because we have some that are getting hurt, but I'm not necessarily sure pulling players from the USL is what the fans are looking for and what we are looking for as what's going to get us over this out of this slump and over the hump. But, you know, some of the vitals for him, he is 5'10", 161 pounds. He is from Texas. And like I said, his last club was the Las Vegas Lights. And prior to that, it was the Austin Bold in 2019. I have a feeling that this signing might have been, no pun intended, a knee-jerk reaction to the Palacios injury. And even though Palacios is back in training, they might not have known the scope of the injury at the time they went ahead and inked this contract. And just because Palacios is back in training doesn't mean he's match fit or not potential to aggravate that injury more going forward. Obviously, knock on wood, we don't want that to happen, of course, but... It seems to me like you bring in an outside back right after an outside back gets hurt, that that's kind of filling a hole they thought was being created. Now, obviously, all of us are praying that Palacios is healthy. He was amazing for us last year. Hasn't really had the greatest of seasons so far this year, but he seemed to be heading in the right direction when this injury, another injury on turf, happened. So I think we're all optimistic that he performs well in training and is able to make it out to the pitch again. But it feels to me like this was a backup in case we need some depth in that position. Uh, Christian, what do you think on this new signing? Yeah, I think it's just reinforcements. It's a worst case scenario. I think he might not see any playing time, but it's good to have some contingencies of in case we need an additional backup with I mean, the season being so tight with a lot of midweek games there's going to be a lot of rotation so it makes sense to, to do the signing and we need Palacios to be healthy right so give him a few weeks off hopefully whatever knock he took or injury he can come back from and we can get results in the meantime so that we have some sort of playoff position to be able to at least have a game to give ourselves a chance to, to move forward in the playoffs. Palacios plays at left black Right. And this guy is a right back. I'm not sure, you know, especially someone who's never really played the position, but are we sure that this was the knee jerk reaction to the Palacios injury as opposed to the Kim Moon Juan injury? I think it's just a depth piece overall with injuries across the back line, you know, and, and, and we know some of those guys can play either side. Farfan, you know, has certainly played on both sides. So I, I'm not so sure it's, it's necessarily a one for one with you know, Palacios. So for Julian, but I think it's just adding depth in an area where we've had some injuries. So we'll see. He does have some LAFC ties prior to Las Vegas lights. He graduated from the same Barca residence Academy that Bryce Duke went to. So he and Duke did get a chance to play together as they were coming up, which I thought was an interesting piece as well, too. He was a forward when he played in Texas, like Chris mentioned. So in his time with Austin Bold up until 2019, prior to not playing in 2020, he was a forward. And we've yet again converted a forward to a right back, which again, worked for Latif. So in Bob and JT, we trust temporarily, at least at this point. Why don't we go ahead and, and move on to our preview of the upcoming match this weekend? Because I'm really looking forward to the interview portion of the show. And I don't want to run too long at the front end here. So this Saturday, 7 p.m. is going to be the very first game north of the border. 
for the Vancouver Whitecaps, who have started the entire season on the road due to COVID protocol. So this will be the first game at BC Place. So it's going to be an emotional game for Vancouver. Lucky us, we get to be the opponent in that game. They are coming off a win midweek versus Austin. Of course, LAFC have had the week off, so we win the rest battle. But they did uh, snap their tie streak. Uh, They had five ties in a row prior to their 2-1 win at Austin. Uh, And they haven't lost a game since the first week of July. So they might not be racking up the points, but they are certainly getting it done a la FC Richmond in uh, the tie category there. On the season, they are currently sitting in 11th place with 20 points. They got four wins, seven losses, eight ties. LAFC, of course, in eighth place, just three points ahead of them with our six wins, eight losses, and five ties. We know Vancouver is not a possession team. They like to counterattack. They like to get you on dead balls, something that we are susceptible to. Those teams that sit back, absorb pressure, clog the midfield, and then try and come after you from dead balls, corners, set pieces, and of course, the breakaway. Uh, They got that new Scottish player, Ryan Gald, on the team who looks pretty good. Uh, He's only had a couple matches in which he's subbed in. So it looks like he's starting to get that run of form and and might be having a a bigger role versus us coming up. But um, look, we haven't won in Vancouver since our first season. This is a place where we have typically struggled when we head up there. Uh, Even when we were looking to clinch a supporter's shield and they were bottom of the table, they still gave us trouble up there. It's a difficult turf to play on. It's an older kind of turf, a rougher, if you will, type of turf, as players have described it, to play on. We know that LAFC typically struggle on turf, even the fancy turf. So when we're going back to playing on a rougher kind of turf, how that's going to affect both players' health and their ability to be effective with the ball is going to be something we're just going to have to see. You know, LAFC seem to be going into a place where we have struggled while we are struggling at the moment. And as much as we desperately need three points from this game going into the All-Star break, it's not exactly hospitable confines up there. So I'm curious what you guys are thinking as far as what a starting 11 is going to look like. What formations and tactics do you think Bob's going to employ? And what are you looking for from the team going into Vancouver? Christian, why don't we go ahead and start with you? I'd like to see a 4-3-3 to start the game. I feel like last few games, we've had to switch to that to be a little bit more stable. And I think I think with some of the injuries and some of the players we have available, it'd be the best formation to start the game, especially if they play counterattack. It gives us a little bit of balance and keeps them from exploiting the spaces in the midfield and behind the, the wingers, if that's what they're going to play. I also think, I'm kind of hoping, but I'm, I'm, this is my prediction, I think we're going to break the streak and get three goals on this one. I think that Christian Arango and Raito are going to score. So that's where I'm going. I feel like there's nowhere else we could go but up at this point. And maybe they had that come to Jesus conversation. And um, I don't know how many goals Vancouver's going to score, but this is what I'm predicting on our side. That's a lot of hot takes, bro. That's yeah. a lot of hot takes. You got you yeah. got three goals in a game. You've got Arango making his first goal. You've got Raito making his first goal this season. Bro, I mean. Yeah. All this is bottled up, though. Like, I feel like it's 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 going to be one kind of moment. It's going to be a release. And I feel like the LAFC feeling, even if it's just for this one game, and I feel like Vancouver doesn't always play well against us. I think that's that's the only reason I would I would say. Though the turf, that's only the only thing that I feel like consistently puts us in a bad position. Sometimes not even the opponent; it's the the, the actual surface. Araceli, what do you think? I have to admit that when it comes to Vancouver, I'm not as well versed on their attacking style. So I think Jonathan previewed it perfectly in in uh, describing their counterattack and to the possession. But overall, I think it's definitely going to be a tough match, even with. Moon possibly back in the lineup. I would hope Bob goes back to the 4-3-3 formation because his, for lack of better terms, I guess experiment lately um, hasn't proven to be as effective. And especially knowing Mark Dos Santos, he is impervious to Bob's style. He knows how Bob works. He understands, you know, the system. And I think he can easily predict what Bob is going to do in terms of the lineup. My main concern would obviously be the turf as well, because 
for some reason, we just do not play well on turf in the last two matches that we have. They've already claimed players in a way. So I am nervous and hoping, you know, being in an older turf, we don't see any more injuries on it. But as far as Arango scoring or three goals, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I do agree that that is a bit of a tall order. <laughs> so I would hope at very most, maybe a 2-1 victory on the road. Overall, I am curious to see what Bob does for this match. Well, we know MDS and Bob go back a long ways. They both tend to run a 4-3-3, but are both coaches that have tweaked with that system of late this year. And going into a heads-up match where they both know each other's 4-3-3, uh, I'm curious to see if Bob goes again to the five-back. And, uh, you know, Vancouver has been kind of playing a little bit of the Christmas tree, the 4-2-3-1. So kind of interesting to see if they go that route as well, too. So two coaches that are known for their 4-3-3s, both not playing a 4-3-3 against each other would be kind of interesting. Uh, we had that 2-2 tie back at the bank a little less than a month ago. It was uh, 24th of July when they were here. So obviously they stole points from us late in that game. Hopefully we can go up there and, and steal some points from them. Turn about being fair play. Of course, right after our trip to Vancouver, we're going to go ahead and pause for the all-star break at that point. Well, at least some of the players are going to get it off. Uh, we got the skills competition. That will be Tuesday at six, followed by the all-star game Wednesday at 630. That'll be captained by... Christian rolled on, but will not be Vela wearing the captain's armband at Bank of California Stadium. Unless, of course, Bob, you know, subs Vela in and rolled on comes out and they switch the armband at that point in time, which I think would be a cheeky move on Bob's part in order to make sure that Vela does get a chance at the armband for some portion of this game. But whether he plays or not, we shall see. It's going to be interesting. We do have some injury concerns as a team, as we well know. Thankfully, the Palacios injury has been reduced to simply questionable, I think was uh, the term Bob used in the press conference today. We know Moon was listed as available for this weekend. Whether we see him or not and see him on turf remains to be seen. Mario with the hamstring industry is also available. My concern with Mario is that he is one yellow card away from another suspension. And of course, coming out of the All-Star game, we play the evil ones, the hated ones down in Carson. So we want Mario for that game. So I'm almost on team don't play Mario in Vancouver just so that he doesn't get that yellow card and we have him for that game versus Carson. But we do have some fun exhibition at the bank and hopefully you guys all get a chance to come out and enjoy that next week. Do you guys have any thoughts on the All-Star game or any final thoughts on Vancouver before we dive into the interview? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the last thing that we need to mention is just that the, the I feel like this match against Vancouver is a must win for LAFC and not in regards to, you know, the standings or things like that. I just think that a momentum turn going into the all-star break and then following it up with a derby against the team that we can't stand the most. If we are coming off of a loss or a tie that feels like a loss because we gave up a weak goal in the last final minutes or whatever it is, you know, how some of those ties will feel like losses rather than you earned a tie type of thing. If the momentum, if we leave Vancouver with less momentum or it's not rejuvenated before, it's not, it's not like we're going to have a lot of it going into this game. And right now the Galaxy are, are playing better than us. And you that's evident in the standings. And, you know, we just don't, need to have more things not working in our favor. Amen. Amen. You know, must win is a hard thing to say at this point in the season, but from a mentality standpoint, I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is a must win match or at least a match in which even if we come away with a tie, we need to show something different. We need to show some offensive prowess. The fact that we have a reputable MLS reporter on the show that scoffs at us being able to score three goals I mean, could you imagine a year ago being in a position where it's, you know, nearing the end of August and LAFC have not had a three goal game yet. And someone as prestigious as Araceli is, you know, making light of, of our hopes of scoring three goals in a game. I mean, I, I don't I don't think you're wrong. I think those are well-founded observations, but it, it scares me. 
And so I absolutely think we need to go out there and score three goals. If it's a three, three game, I really don't care. I, I just think we need to go out and score three goals and just prove that this offense has something going on the right foot. But speaking of being on the right foot, I want to get the show back on the right track here. And at which point I, I do want to go ahead, transition the show to the interview portion. And we are so thrilled today to have Araceli Villanueva here with us. Just to recap, she is currently the social media coordinator and content creator at Challenger Pitch, which is a member of Challenger Sports. Challenger Sports is the largest provider of soccer camps and apparel in North America. And of course, a very prestigious career within the world of American soccer. Araceli has formerly worked at Switch the Pitch, aka MLS Female, has worked for clubs like Swope Park Rangers, the Kansas City Comets, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Oblong Ball, and of course, worked for MLSsoccer.com. SB Nation amongst others. So once again, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yes. And again, thank you for having me on and especially discussing all things LAFC and previewing Saturday's match as well as the MLS All-Star. I'm very excited because I will actually be in California next week for the All-Star match, the Derby match, and even when LAFC hosts Sporting Kansas City again. So I'm looking forward to being out there again with the 3252 and just see all of you. Let's do this. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and start off where we start each one of our guests off. And that is, when does the beautiful game enter your life? I think I have a similar story as most. The league began when I was about four years old. And so once MLS started, my parents were the type that kind of threw me into the game, per se. I would always go to soccer camps. I played on teams up until about middle school after I sustained an ankle injury. And at that point, it was just kind of, do I really want to pursue this as a career? You know, but as the years went on, I was very fortunate to get an internship with Sporting Kansas City. And I have found that my writing skills outweigh my technical skills per se. So I've just fallen in love with the reporter lifestyle. So we know that SKC was a club you have supported since your youth. Were there any other clubs across the pond, Europe, Bundesliga, La Liga, Premier League that you support as well too? I also support Chelsea FC, but that passion did not begin until like my college years. Okay. I saw the head nod. It's all right. It's all right. We'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. No um, one on the pod. No one on the pod likes Chelsea. It's okay though. <laughs> right. So jo- Jonathan's an Arsenal fan. I'm a Liverpool fan, and Christian's a United fan. So it's we're we're all here supporting different clubs. Top four is what I'm saying. All oh of us have top four teams goodness. that we support. Well, maybe not Jonathan. Arsenal. Yeah, I was gonna say Arsenal's <laughs> not in the top four, bro. <laughs> Oh, man, I remember when we were consistently top four and that wasn't good enough. And now we would kill to be top four. Uh, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But uh, let's not get me into another dark space here uh, talking about uh, talking about Arsenal. I'm tripping over my words, just thinking about how terrible they've been for the course of the last year. And uh, LAFC have been the bright spot by comparison, although this year, maybe maybe not so much. So, well, that's that's fantastic. You're a Chelsea fan. Good for you. No, no. (laughs) So what was the soccer culture like and what was the lifestyle like for you growing up in Kansas City, you know, going to the matches when it was the early parts of the MLS and just being able to see this league grow? What was that like for you to be able to see all those different stages of the league? Oh, it's definitely an experience for sure, because I can easily say that when the league first started, obviously there was not as much support as there is now. And Sporting Kansas City has been through a few transitions as much as the original clubs have. Originally, we were called the Kansas City Wizards, rebranded in 2010, finally got our own stadium that year as well. And I think that stadium became the blueprint of most current stadiums, including the Bank of California. So to watch the league grow through the past, oh my goodness, like two decades. Now I'm like aging myself almost. But again, just to kind of watch that growth and just to see where the league is now, and even it's still expanding as, you know, we're discussing this, I believe North Carolina or St. Louis is set to join the league next Uh, season. uh, Charlotte, yeah. So Charlotte FC and St. Louis SC. And then uh, the most recent thing, I guess, was because of Sacramento Republic was not able that now they're talking about a team in Las Vegas. Mm hmm. But again, just to kind of watch that fan support grow throughout the years and to see 
you know, clubs like LAFC thrive, even with the fan base. It's I, I think that's one of the things that definitely attracted me to LAFC. Not only was it a new club, but I saw that energy that the fan base brought to it because I do have a lot of family that lives in Bakersfield. So for the past decade, I have visited them. We've gone to Galaxy Games before. And I believe it was in the first couple of months of LAFC's inaugural season, I had went to, I attended a watch party for the first time. And I just saw that energy and just that the overall fandom and how everybody was real supportive of each other. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, like I really love this. And it's not to diss the Kansas City Cauldron, which is sporting's main supporters group. But that is the passion has been lacking in the past couple of years, unfortunately. So to kind of be thrown back into that rejuvenated system, it just felt amazing. And I've just been a supporter and a, a reporter of the team ever since. We'll have to set you up with the folks from D9U Bakersfield. We have a chapter of RSG out there. So if you're ever in Bakersfield and you want to get together with some of the black and gold fam, hit us up. We'll get you connected. Hey, will do. I was going to say it's interesting because Kansas City is known for American football and baseball. And I will say, even though you're saying that the support isn't intense, at least in the stadium during the games, it looks like quite the atmosphere. And maybe maybe the day-to-day isn't as intense as it can be for LAFC fans. I feel like LAFC fans and supporters, like you said, the watch parties are very, very engaging. It feels like you're almost in a stadium, a mini stadium, and then you realize it's just a bunch of TVs and people eating and having drinks. It's something you can't understand until you experience it and you feel. So you just being introduced to that once and kind of flipping you is, to me, very interesting. When you grew up and lived in Kansas City, um, and didn't feel that for that entire time. And now that experience has sparked you wanting to write and wear the black and gold jersey. That again, it's not to say, not to quote unquote bash the cauldron, because I still um, have a lot of great friends within the community and we still, you know, support the team heavily. Like we have watch parties, we have all types of things, and the soccer culture is still strong here. The only thing I think is what's hurting it, per se, is that in the recent years, we've had a change of leadership uh, within the FO and the supporter section, and they've just been kind of clashing a little bit. Because the way it's set up here is we have the Cauldron as the main group on the north side, similar to the 3252, and then we have a separate supporter section known as the South Stand that sit on the South end. And last year, there was a lot of debate where they wanted to merge the two and to create one big supporter section. And it just, it did not end well, let's put it that way, the discussions. So I know there's a little bit of tension between the supporters and the FO currently. Oh gosh, that sounds very familiar to a club. We might know a little thing about uh, about 25 miles down the road from Bank of California Stadium. But there was something else you mentioned in there about a leadership change at the FO and how that caused a bit of a setback. For all of you be out people within the community, take note, uh, a change does not always mean progress, but disappointing to see whenever supporters can't get together. And I think for the betterment of the game as a whole, uh, we'd like to see, uh, you know, the South End and the Cauldron get together and figure something out in order to make sure that their active support is as good as it can be. Because I'm speaking for myself, and, and I'm sure for most of the LAFC community, we love it when active support is exactly that in any stadium that we go to. And when if there's something holding support back, we'd certainly like to break those barriers. But speaking of, of barriers, I think this might be a great point to transition into you as a writer and how football writing came into your life. We know that you started in college. Can you take us through the decision to go ahead and stop playing and start writing and how you discovered that this was your passion and, and what were sort of the steps in you going from working as a reporter in college to finding that first job and how it led you to where you're at today? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, I did play in my younger years and I officially hung up my boots while I was in middle school after I sustained my ankle injury. Because at that point, I loved playing. Don't get me wrong. And I still love to play every now and then. But unfortunately, at that time, the support for women's soccer was not as strong or anywhere near as supportive as it is now. 
And that's what I love to see that our soccer culture here in Kansas City is growing again now with the addition of the women's team that came back this season. But aside from that, um, when I entered college, I was kind of a little curious about what my next step in life would be, is the best way to put that. And after I got that internship with Sporting Kansas City, it really challenged me, you know, not only as a writer, but, you know, as a former player, if this is the route I like to take, because it's not unheard of where we see former players turn to broadcasting or media in some way or form. After my internship was up, I made the decision that, you know, this is something that I would like to pursue. I joined my college newspaper, began reporting on Sporting KC and the Comets, which is our MASL team here in town. And even through that, I also got an internship with the Comets and worked as the communications intern for, I think, for the remainder of the 2015-2016 season up until graduation. And then that's when I transitioned into working as like a, a game day media assistant for the Swell Park Rangers, now known as Sporting KC2. And just ever since then, my career has just evolved and I've been absolutely blessed. And now with LAFC added to it, it, it just grew that community even more for me. And I couldn't even be more proud. Well, I'm definitely curious just from a personal standpoint. For those of you who don't know, Kansas City Comets is an MASL team. They play in the same league as the Ontario Fury, my employer. So, uh, you know, obviously that particular team you had in 15-16 was their conference champion. Well, their division champion, they went on and, and lost in the conference finals. I'm very sorry, but they had a fantastic team that year. You guys went 17-3. and three. You had absolute legends of the indoor game that played on that team. You know, guys like Boris Pardo, Leo Gibson, Robert Palmer. You know, some guys that are still around the league to this day. Gibson is still a player coach. You know, you still see Boris Pardo in net. Robert Palmer is still out there. Uh, he is actually with the Fury now and just kind of curious from my own personal mind. I know our fans could probably care less about the indoor game, which you really shouldn't because the indoor game is so fast paced and fun. You guys should check it out. You dig it, but kind of what your experiences were in moving to indoor from outdoor and then going back to indoor and what you think about the potential of indoor soccer within the United States and your experiences within the indoor world. No, I definitely agree. Indoor is a very fast paced. It's, it's more fast paced than anyone would imagine it to be. It's very high intensity. And I think we've seen that, especially in this past season when the Comets hosted the Fury for the semifinals, the forcing, you know, those third games and basically making me be at the stadium three hours longer than I should have been. But, <laughs> you know, overall, it's a great experience. And especially at the time when I, was an intern with them back in 2015. I was just, you know, this young 22 year old going from transitioning from outdoor to indoor. It wasn't as much as a shock because I have already known about the comments beforehand. Well, one of my cousins was actually the equipment manager at the time. So I had seen a few games. Uh, it's just from my own personal perspective, I, I prefer to be outdoor. But to be indoor, especially during the winter months, can't complain because the winters in Kansas City can be absolutely brutal. But other than that, I think the future for MASL is definitely bright. I know last year was definitely a challenging year with COVID. Multiple teams had to pull out of the league, mostly on a monthly basis, you know, depending on their financial situation. So I am hopeful that this year will kind of go back to quote unquote normal of how a typical league would run or a, a schedule, I should say. And as far as the growth of the team, I think I think it's definitely getting more eyes on it because I have seen fan bases grow exponentially for it. And trying to compare the Fury to the Comets fan-wise, I think we range in similar numbers as what they, the teams can pull in. Yeah, I think those numbers are certainly have the potential to rise. You know, 10,000 a game is... is uh... Look, there are MLS clubs that are only getting 10,000 a game, so that's not terrible, but I think there's definitely the potential to see 15, 20,000 fans again back at an indoor game, and I'd love to see. And of course, you know, it runs during that MLS offseason, so there is no overlap there. But uh, in, in transitioning to the world of outdoor football, 
Uh, you also had a stop at a different kind of football uh, when you were working for the chefs. Um, so can you tell us a little bit uh, about your work with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and the NFL and how the world of oblong football is different from the world of good old round football? It is definitely an entirely different world comparing, even I call it hand egg every now and then, but just the, it, it to me, it doesn't have the same intensity level and it just might be my upbringing in the soccer community where I'm used to a fast paced game for 90 minutes straight, whereas football, it feels like there's a break every five minutes and it's just, can you just play the game? <laughs> But I did do that first season, kind of as an experiment as to challenging not only my skill set, but just trying out new venues just in case if I did ever change my mind. And this what my work with the Chiefs was about three years ago, I should I would say, because I did write for a, a website called Our Turf, which was also branched off of MLS female. So you had the soccer side and you had the football side. And at the time, the Chiefs had just won the Super Bowl championship for the first time in 50 years, I believe it was. So it was really easy to, you know, kind of get that coverage, but it, it does not compare to the soccer community. And it, it was just not a fit for me, especially, you know, moving forward. Like I'd much rather be with my soccer people. <laughs> and how did that transition to MLS.com? So MLS.com was actually uh, very interesting. I was in Los Angeles at the time when I got the email because, oh goodness, I'm trying to think of the year of this. I want to say it's around 2017, 2018, because Sporting Kansas City was in the Western Conference semifinals or the quarterfinals, and we were the host, and we were hosting the, the Portland Timbers at the time. So I guess it was just kind of through word of mouth that they've heard my name and they asked, you know, if I would be interested in covering a match. And of course I agreed to it because when the league reaches out to you, it's kind of one of those, whoa, you know, like I made it type of moments because you don't ever expect an email from the league. So I was very fortunate to work the playoffs with them and it's just grown from there where I became one of the contributing writers. So whenever they needed an additional writer for any games based in Kansas City, they would reach out to me. Unfortunately, it was kind of cut short due to the pandemic. There were major layoffs across the board from the executives to the front office to the contributing writers. And I, I really do feel for my colleagues because a lot of us were affected by that. But I am glad to say that I still have my connections with them. So if there is a story that needs to be told, I know who to contact. So after you leave MLSsoccer.com, you start working with MLS female or as other people might know it, uh, switch the pitch. So can you, you take us uh, how that launched and exactly what, you know, being a woman reporter in this sport is like and the challenges that you've had to deal with? Is it something that, you know, really needs our continued effort? And, and I guess ultimately at the end of the day, for those of us in the soccer world, how do we stand shoulder to shoulder with the female sports reporters and how do we help promote that voice? Mm -hmm. Well, switch the pitch or formerly as known as MLS female did kind of run simultaneously with my work with MLSsoccer.com. So I was fortunate that they reached out to me to, at first it was just to cover Sporting Kansas City. But then at the time, um, LEFC was set to join the league. The owners, Dana Gorman and uh, Carrie were, you know, needing writers for different clubs. And they saw my history with Los Angeles, you know, having been there, uh, attending, you know, Galaxy games with the family and so on. And they were like, hey, do you want to help cover LAFC for us? And I have to admit, at the time, I was a little hesitant on it. But after looking at LAFC as a whole, it was kind of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. So that's how I actually got introduced to um, LAFC as a writer. But in terms of switch to pitch, I definitely do still respect the girls. I'm still uh, in contact with a lot of them. 
And what I loved about it or what drew me to it, I should say, is that it was an organization of just nothing but female reporters and photographers. I believe we have, or they still have 12 writers on staff, uh, just covering the league as a whole, even um, international games if needed. But just to see that type of community, especially that early on, really did appeal to me because I, I am aware there are female supporters out there in this league, but unfortunately their voices aren't um, heard as much, especially coming from the female perspective of the soccer community. So to kind of be a, I never really like to say pioneer, but I guess at the end of the day, we can see ourselves as like trailblazers in a way, you know, to show other women that they can be reporters, that we can be in this position, especially myself as being a person of color. I've definitely noticed a lot of, you know, interest from that and uh, support, especially within the LEC community. So it's definitely been a journey. And I think moving forward, the women are definitely starting to be heard more. And I would not be surprised if we see more female-run organizations, and I would be proud to see that. So I guess back to the one question of how do we as a show, we as a community, you know, our listeners, how do they go about supporting the female reporter, the female photographer uh, in a world that seems to be so tragically male-dominant? I think the best form of support right now would just be overall support and kind of like how you have me on the show right now, you know, just have those female reporters, give them a chance to, you know, not only speak their truth, but speak their, you know, their experiences and the female photographers definitely show them support, you know, by sharing their images or just talking about them in general. So I think those would be the best avenues to show it. And how did that transition to challenger sports? Was it just the nature of MLS? Having to, tra- having to lay off people and they were giving you the opportunity to join their team? Correct. After being laid off by MLS, it, it did kind of throw me for a loop, obviously. And I was very fortunate that at the time, Challenger Sports had just developed the site, which is now Challenger Pitch, to cover all soccer news, whether it be MLS, NWSL, MASL, the Premier League, anything really. So at the time, my now boss, he had been following my career for a few years. So when the position opened, he reached out personally and asked if I would be interested to come on and, you know, cover the league as a whole, than just specifically Sporting KC and LAFC, which I still hold true as my two main teams. But I do have the opportunity to look at the league as a whole. So tell us a little bit about Challenger Sports, Challenger Pitch for any of our listeners that might not be familiar with them uh, and what specifically or where specifically they could find your content. Sure. Challenger Sports is the nation's leader in soccer camps. We have camps in every single state. They run primarily during the summertime, but there are programs we offer year round. All the information can be found on the main Challenger Sports website if anyone is interested in signing their kids up for camp or a program but aside from that as we mentioned you know they branched out into create challenger pitch to help more of the news and on the website it also offers information on like team wear so if you need to outfit a team we offer that and just like little fun things like games and other things to help you know keep athletes um, entertained I'm sorry what was the second part to that question Oh, uh, where can we find your content specifically? Oh, my content. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So people can find my articles on challengerpitch.com. I also do have my own website. I try to update every now and then www.acelivianueva.org. And if not there, then you can always find me on Twitter at A-R-A-C-E-L-V-1. I do try to keep that is updated as much as possible, especially for press conferences. I tweet out all the latest news as they come in. Yeah. Great. You know, and it's, you know, we do see your contributions on social media because 
you know, a lot of times, uh, especially myself, I'm trying, we're all trying to find the the breaking news or the, the comments that we can use. And I know that there's been plenty of times where your information that you put on Twitter, whether it's about breaking news or just your opinion of the club or anything like that, you know, it, it's very helpful. So thank you very much for your contributions. And we definitely have, you've been an asset to us to be able to provide the content, you know, because we all try and help each other and we feed off each other and what we see and what we read. So it's just, again, thank you. I am curious now that of course, because this is about LAFC, you know, can you describe to us your first experience at the bank? Can you tell us, you know, any of the moments in LAFC's history that just stand out, you know, and what, you know, what are your favorite things about the club? I wish I could just answer that with no whip, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I think my first experience at the bank overall was definitely an exciting one because I did fly in when LAFC was hosting Sporting Kansas City, and I had the opportunity to walk, to actually not only tour the stadium, but just to experience the atmosphere overall after, you know, watching it on TV for so many games, because that is one of the downsides to being a, rem- a remote reporter is I get to watch all the fun on screen and not actually be embraced in it, per se, but key moments would definitely have to be when LAFC defeated Club Leon 3-0 in the CCL match. That atmosphere was absolutely electric. It there, There's no other way to really describe it other than breathtaking. And the stadium overall, I just love the layout of it. I love the different food options that they have. I love the inclusiveness of the stadium as well as the, the field club. I Fields and free play? Fields and free play, yes. And going there after a game for the post-match uh, party with all the supporters and even media like ourselves, it's a great time. It's definitely a great time. And I do encourage people to at least go to a game once and to see the overall atmosphere and how electric a match can be. Even though this season hasn't been favorable, I love how the energy that the 3252 continues to bring every match and definitely get the dough whip because I have not seen that anywhere else. Disneyland, they got it. They got dole whip at Disneyland. But it's cheaper to go to the LAFC game. Than oh it is no, of Disneyland. course, of course, of course. But I just, <laughs> it, but every time I see that dole whip, it just makes me think of Disneyland because I've never seen dole whip, you know, given out like that other than at Disneyland. So when it came to the Bank of California, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop getting them. <laughs> Do you have a prediction for the season, Araceli? I think I mentioned it earlier where I'm trying to remain as optimistic as I can that LAC can turn things around, whether it be this match or in the Derby match, because now we are seeing a lot of um, injured players starting to make their way back, of course, with the exception of Segura. The overall rhetoric of whether we want to keep Bob Bradley or not is ludicrous, in my opinion, because you can't fault a coach for one bad season. Obviously, it's easier said than done to, you know, start pointing fingers when we're not seeing the results that we're used to. But overall, I would hope LEFC finds their spark again and, you know, start meshing as a team because what has kept me hopeful thus far is in the press conferences, players like Moon and Arango, uh, Arango excuse me, have said time and time again that they credit like Vela and Rossi for, you know, helping them integrate into the system and showing them the way per se. And, you know, just helping them get to know the culture of Los Angeles, especially being from foreign countries. So I hope that that translates on the field. And it feels like it is starting to translate, especially with Moon, because every match he has been getting progressively better, especially with those connections with Bella. So playoffs or no playoffs? I'm going to say playoffs. Okay. So Maybe now I, I, the knockout round, but I, 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 I predict playoffs. So let me ask you, right? So it's the Western Conference Final, and LAFC is playing Kansas City. Who are you rooting for? I mean, at the end of the day, I technically win either way, but... <laughs> Wrong answer, Araceli. <laughs> <laughs> 
given the status of LAFC, I would definitely be rooting for LAFC. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't let Thank us pressure you. you, but we accept that response. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time this evening. We sincerely appreciate you coming on the show. You are a content creator that we have ravenously consumed for the past few years, and it's been our pleasure to finally have you on the show. So thank you once again for coming. And before we say goodnight, we do have one final question for you, Araceli, and that is, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Shoulder to shoulder means to me community, inclusiveness, and just overall generosity, whether it be on the field or off the field, and just togetherness per se, you know, just being there for each other. Once again, our guest this evening has been Araceli Villanueva. You can follow her on Twitter at A-R-A-C-E-L-V-1. If you are not already following Araceli, what is wrong with you? Get out there and click them subscribe buttons. She puts out some fantastic content. And for those of you who are already familiar with her content, hopefully we have painted a bit of a story behind the creator for you today. And for those of you new to Araceli's work, get on it. She puts out some great stuff. You can also follow her with her employer at Challenger Pitch at www.challengerpitch.com. And of course, she posts all of her personal work on her website, AracelyVillanueva.org. That's www.A-R-A-C-E-L-I-V-I-L-L-A-N-U-E-V-A.org. Org. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. We sincerely appreciate finally having you on the show. I'm very sorry it took us over 95 episodes to get you on, but thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on. I definitely had a blast talking LAFC with all three of you, and hopefully I will see you in Los Angeles next week. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing you there at the bank. Please hit us up. We owe you a beer or a Dole Whip or something on us for coming on the show. So thank you so much. Of course, you can always follow us at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. We sincerely appreciate your continued patronage as we make our way towards our 100th episode. Nice to be ramping up with some great members of the community. So thank you, Araceli, for joining us. On behalf of Chris Christian, the legend sound engineer, Wilton, and myself, we'd like to thank you guys all for listening to episode 97 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. With that, take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.